Exodus chapter 14, verses 1 through 31. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Pi-Harath, between Migdol and the sea, in front of Baal-Saphon, you shall encamp facing it by the sea. The Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, they are wandering in the land, the wilderness has shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed towards the people, and they said, What is this we have done, that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariot and took his army with him, and took six hundred chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers and all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them and all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army and overtook them and camped at the sea by Piharoth in front of Baal-Zephon. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, is it because there is no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we have said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You have only to be silent. The Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, so they shall go in after them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all of his hosts, his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord, when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. Then the angel of God, who was going before the hosts of Israel, moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the hosts of Egypt and the hosts of Israel. And there was a cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them in the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And in the morning watch, the Lord in a pillar of fire and of cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, Let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, 
and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. And the waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen of all the hosts of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. Colossians chapter 2, verses 9 through 15. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to shame by triumphing over them in him. Hey everybody, good morning and uh, welcome to Christ Community Chapel. <clears throat> I'm really glad you're here. Thanks for coming. Uh, welcome those of you at our East service, those of you who are tuning in, uh, welcome. Uh, it has been one of the great privileges of my life uh, to spend the last 30 years uh, here, uh, helping to minister to you and pastor uh, in this church. And so I am deeply grateful for uh, more than 30 years ago, meeting Jim College, becoming friends, and then him inviting me to participate in what God is doing here. So uh, thank you. Before I get to the message, uh, I want to do a little pastoring uh, with us. Uh, a little more than a week and a half ago, uh, the Supreme Court overturned Roe versus Wade in a monumental decision. And uh, some of you wondered why I didn't mention it last week, and part of it was I was trying to process. Sometimes it's better for me to try to process something before responding, because I wanted to try to process uh, kind of how to shepherd all of us in our response as followers of Jesus to this, and uh, this is what I want to do. I want us to respond in three ways, and for me, having three ways is not a surprise, but here are the three ways I want us to respond. I want us to celebrate. We should celebrate. And the reason we should celebrate is that human life is not a commodity. Your value as a human being doesn't rise and fall because of what you do or how you produce or whether people like you or dislike you or want you or don't want you. Your value as a human being is because you are fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God himself. That is your value. And that's a great, great thing. Now, I also feel like we need to celebrate, because we're followers of Jesus, we celebrate with humility. That when I'm watching a football game and a, 
a wide receiver catches the ball, goes in the end zone, and then does a victory dance. I always think that's uh, just, it, it's an easy way to make people hate you, right? As followers of Jesus, I want you to try not to, or do not uh, treat social media as an end zone. I want you to uh, celebrate with humility, which means quietly and with deep gratitude. And the reason for that is that the second thing I want us to do is, is listen with compassion. Listen with compassion. There's a lot of anger out there, and people get angry for two reasons. One, because of fear, and the other is because of hurt. And we seem like we have lost the capacity in our nation to listen to somebody with compassion who doesn't agree with us. And so I want us to do that. If you have an angry neighbor, an angry friend, an angry uh, family member, an angry person at work, listen to them. Listen for why they are hurt. Listen for why they are afraid. Show compassion. And then finally, the third thing I want us to do is offer hope and help. Uh, because an unwanted pregnancy doesn't all of a sudden become wanted because an abortion is not available anymore. And that means people are going to need both hope and help, and we are the ones who can give that. Uh, we have already been planning for uh, a weekend this fall where we are going to talk about uh, adoption, foster care, helping in any way we can, because now is our time to shine. And we shine as Christians by celebrating with humility, by listening with compassion, and by reaching out with hope and help for anyone, anytime, anywhere, with anything. All right? So let's do that. Okay. Now uh, we uh, continue with our 10-week series on the life of Moses. We're in week six. Last week, we uh, talked about the Passover. If you ever wanted to know the connection between the Old Testament and the New Testament, between Judaism and Christianity, uh, last week was it, the Passover. The Passover is the pattern of salvation, of forgiveness, of escaping judgment, having judgment pass over you, because you are covered by the blood of a lamb. All right, so it was in the Old Testament, so it is in the New Testament for us. All right, so that was last week. And last week was the 10th of the 10 plagues, right? Last week ends with the Passover and the, the people sacrificed the lamb, put it, the blood on the doorpost, took refuge under that, judgment passed over them. The next day they found out they were free and they walk to freedom. It seems like if you're watching a movie, if that's the movie, credits should start rolling right then. Right? It, the, the good guys have won, the bad guys have been decimated, and now they're walking, and you get to watch them. The, the credits begin to scroll, and then the end comes up. And then this story. It's just a wild story. And this story, like all the other stories in the Bible, you should start by asking why. Why do we have this story right here? What does God want to teach us through this? One of the things that I love about the Bible is that when you study it, uh, it's like mining for gold. And you can find uh, gold right at the surface. You can dig a little deeper and find more gold, which is why you can hear a sermon by 10 different preachers on the same passage of Scripture and come away with 10 different insights. A year ago last week, I preached on this passage uh, we were in a series called One Story, One Hero, where we were looking at stories in the Old Testament showing how they point to Jesus, how they're really about Jesus. 
And what I preached on was uh, in this passage of the Red Sea was about salvation, how it shows us how we pass from death to life, what redemption really means, what freedom really is. This week, uh, a year later, I'm going to preach the same passage, but I'm going to talk about doubt, about doubt, and how to handle doubt. Same passage, different nugget. If you want to hear about salvation, you can go back into our archives and you can listen to the sermon from last year. You know, every week now in this series, we have an Old Testament passage read and then a New Testament passage read. The New Testament passage for this week was from Colossians. And I know it was probably difficult to kind of follow um, why that particular passage. But the verse right before uh, we started the reading was verse 8. And in verse 8, Paul the Apostle is talking to the Christians in Colossae, and this is what he says. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. What Paul seems to be saying to the Colossians, you're going to start to hear things, and those things may cause you to doubt. And then he tells them how to respond to those doubts. Paul is warning them doubts may be coming for them and doubts may be coming for you. So in this passage, these are my three points. I want to talk about why doubt comes, when doubt comes, and what to do when doubt comes. Why doubt comes, when doubt doubt comes, and what to do when doubt comes. First, why doubt comes. I want you to imagine what it must have been like to be an Israelite uh, at this time. All right, you, the night before, you had sacrificed a lamb. You followed the instructions to the letter. You put uh, the blood of the lamb on the doorpost of your house. You stayed inside all night long. The next morning dawns, and somehow you get notified that it's safe to go out. You crack your door open and you step outside into like a whole new world. You look around and all your neighbors are doing the same thing. And you look at your neighbors and you're just going, what? What happened? What in the world? How great is this, right? And then you hear, I don't know if you hear a trumpet or what, that is the declaration that Pharaoh has signed the decree that you are now free. And he wants you out as soon as possible. And you pack your belongings, and you have all kinds of emotions going on, but the one overwhelming emotion that you have is that of pure joy. Absolute joy. Right? And you start in the long procession of going out of Egypt. There's this mass of people behind you and around you. You're all talking, experiencing the same thing, laughing, maybe singing, Right As you walk out, behind you is a mass of people, in front of you is a mass of people. In front of that is a pillar of cloud that is the visible presence of God himself leading you out of Egypt. And you're walking and all of a sudden you're talking to your neighbor. You, ran, you run smack dab in the, in the person in front of you. And the people behind you run into you. And you're going, what's going on? And you find out that you've walked right into a dead end, the Red Sea. You've been a slave. You had no idea the Red Sea was out there, right? You walk right into that you have been led. God has led you into a natural cul-de-sac. 
And while you're pressed up against the person in front of you and the people behind you are pressing up against you, you hear word from behind you that Pharaoh has changed his mind and he's coming with his entire army and he's coming for you. What do you think? How do you even process that? That is not what you expected at all to run into that day, right? You read the text, you can find out that immediately they began to regret trusting God. Doubt comes. Doubt comes into all. You don't have to feel guilty about uh, doubting, about having doubts. You just don't, right? What happens here is that they begin to doubt because God wasn't doing what they thought he should do. If you're here today, and even this past week, you've been thinking to yourself, this isn't what I expected. I thought following God would be easy. I thought it was supposed to be better than, I thought God himself should be better than this. If you are here and you feel like the Red Sea is on one side and Pharaoh's army is on the other and God is nowhere to be seen, that's okay. This story is for you. This story is for you. Now, there are uh, a couple of things I want to say. One, uh, you know, in the New Testament, I just showed you in Colossians that I think Paul was saying doubt's going to come. In the Old Testament, doubt comes. It shouldn't be a surprise that doubt comes into our lives as well. And a doubt can come for a number of reasons, but let me just pull out two from this passage. The first reason that doubt can come is that old slave masters don't give up easily. Old slave masters don't give up easily. Pharaoh had let the people go in Exodus chapter 12. Two chapters later, Exodus chapter 14, he changes his mind. He wants them back. And when I say that uh, slave masters don't give up easily, what I want to tell you is a couple of weeks ago, I told you that you were made to serve somebody. Like when God sent Moses to Pharaoh, he didn't just say uh, to Pharaoh, God says, let my people go. What Moses said to Pharaoh is, God says, let my people go that they may serve me, that they may worship me. You were made to serve somebody. Bob Dylan had that right when he wrote, you got to serve somebody, right? And the way it usually works, oh, here it is, is uh, this is one of my favorite illustrations. Those of you who have been coming for a while, you know, uh, the human heart works like a bicycle wheel. Uh, the spokes represent all the different things that are important in your life, uh, your family, your kids, your marriage, your job, your hobbies, your health, all these things, your friends. But inside of every human heart, there is one value that reigns supreme. It has to. There's one organizing principle, one thing that's more important than anything else. And whatever that is, you serve. Whatever that is, you serve. Now, when you come to know Jesus as your Savior, then Jesus comes into the hub and everything gets into its proper place and its proper balance in your life. But until Jesus comes, there was something else there. It might be your kids. It might be your health. It might be your job, your family, whatever it is. Right? When I say that uh, one of the reasons that people doubt is when an old slave master comes for them, that's how you know. 
is that what happens is if it was your job that used to be the most important thing to you, and then you come to know Jesus and you think, okay, now it's, it's all good and you feel like you're doing well, and then all of a sudden your company merges with another company and you know there's redundancy and you feel that fear deep down in your soul, it's an old slave master coming for you. If it was your kids that was the most important thing in your life and you begin to feel your kids slipping away and with them life itself feels like it's slipping away, it's an old slave master coming for you. And when an old slave master comes for you, they are saying, you used to have life with me and with Jesus, there is no life. That's the doubt that comes. So that's one reason that doubt comes. The other reason that doubt comes is that you're in the in-between time, and in-between is hard. The Israelites are in-between Passover, where judgment passed over them. They were redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, but they haven't gotten to the promised land yet. They're in that in-between time. The in-between time is the only time that doubt happens for a Christian. Like, When I first gave my life to Jesus in a 1968 Volkswagen traveling from Tampa to Orlando, Florida, when I had that conversation with Jesus, I surrendered to him, and I felt grace flood into my soul. Uh, It was absolutely overwhelming. I had no doubt, no doubt about Jesus. I had never experienced anything like that before. Three weeks ago, when my Father closed his eyes for the last time on this side of heaven. And he opened his eyes in heaven and saw Jesus. My father had no doubt. In between, we have doubts. And the harder your in-between is, the more likely you are to experience doubt. Right? And when you are in a hard in-between time there's a temptation to do two things, and that brings me to my second point, when doubt comes. When doubt comes. I think there is a basic kind of design flaw in a human being. And I think it comes from being created to be perfect in a perfect world. I mean, that's what the Bible teaches us, that we were made to be perfect in a perfect world, but we're broken and live in a broken world. And I say it's a design flaw because that's why uh, when things go wrong, I'm always, I'm always like slightly surprised. And when things go right or when, when things are going well, I take it for granted because it seems like it's the way things ought to be. Like, for instance, it's been like 10 weeks since I had a flat tire in my car. And uh, before that, I had about a month where uh, there, there must have been nails on my normal route because I got two flats and then my wife had a flat. And all in a month. And that's super annoying, right? So I was just like, what in the world? But now for 10 weeks, I haven't had a flat. <clears throat> but I haven't been, like, I haven't gotten in my car every day for the last 10 weeks and gone, this is awesome. Right? <laughs> 90% of my body feels good. This shoulder hurts. I think about this shoulder all the time, right? That's just the way we work. We, we tend to focus on the things that are going wrong and not the things that are going right. We tend to focus on what God isn't doing, not what God has done. So the Israelites have just gone through 10 plagues where they watched God do miraculous things, things that only God could do. They watched every one of them. 
Then they just experienced the Passover and, and they, they watched God break Pharaoh like a dry twig. And then they walk and they get stopped by the Red Sea and they hear that Pharaoh's coming. The rational thing for them to do would be to pull out like a lawn chair, sit down, crack open a root beer and just go, this is going to be epic, Right? I can't wait to see what God's going to do. There's no way God did 10 plagues and the Passover to have Pharaoh get us now. So I'm just going to watch. This is going to be great. Not a single one of them did that. Why? Because we, we tend to focus on the circumstances that are happening right now, and we forget what God did in the past. Zach uh, did a great thing, I think, when, when he decided to, he and Amy decided to move from Cleveland uh, to come here to Hudson to serve here in our church. It was a pretty big move, right? They had to move from Cleveland where he, they had planted a church and come to the suburbs. And they have five children, as uh, most of you know. And uh, their children had known almost nothing but Cleveland. All their friends were in Cleveland. They knew it would be traumatic for their kids. So what Zach did is he, he went and got a big piece of butcher paper. And he put it on the ground. He called a family meeting. And he put like a timeline on the ground. He said, we're going to talk about all the ways that God has shown himself, that he has been faithful, that he's taken care of us. And so it was just a blast for a bit. They were just writing different things down. They were talking. And then it got to the point where at the, at the end of the timeline, then Zach said, God is about to do, we're about to do something new. And he talked to them about moving to Hudson. And then he said, what will happen then? And his kids said, looked at the timeline, looked at Hudson and said, well, God's going to take care of us, right? What he was trying to do with, with them was to say, there's going to be a change. Something's going to happen, but don't forget what God has done. It's easy to forget what God does. The second temptation is when you're in the in-between time is to forget what life was like without God, what life was like without God. Like when you read this passage, in uh, Exodus, the people uh, say, say, say something that's just outrageous. I don't know if you picked up on it. This is verse uh, 10 through 12 of chapter 14. It says, When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done in bringing us out of Egypt? Then this. Is this not what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. If you uh, read what they said, they never said that. Right? They're misremembering. They're lying to themselves. Because when, when Moses came to them, if you read the story, Moses said, God has heard your groaning. God has heard your cries of oppression. And he has responded, and he is going to set you free. Not a single one of them went, mm, listen, we're good. No thanks. I'm good right where I am. So one of the things I need to remember when my in-between gets hard is that I was miserable before Jesus. I had been serving other things in other ways, and they had not filled me up. They had emptied me out. I was absolutely miserable before Jesus. When your in-between time gets hard, when things are happening and you don't understand why they're happening, 
You need to make sure you do not forget the times when God has been faithful to you. And do not forget what life was like before God. That brings me to my third point. What to do when doubt comes. What to do when doubt comes. The first thing to do when doubt comes, the thing that would have helped the Israelites, is to not just look at the circumstances, not just look at Pharaoh, but look at the pillar of cloud that was in front of them. Look at God. Right? They had two ways to look, two directions. One was back, and Pharaoh was coming. The other was this way, where there's this huge pillar of cloud that was the visible presence of God. And they all looked that way. And listen, this is what I'm telling you. If you are going, when you go through a difficult time, when you begin to doubt, listen, listen to me. Do not drop out. Don't quit coming to church. Don't drop out of your circle. Don't drop out. Even if you're angry with God, even if you're confused with God, even if doubts are overwhelming you, at least get to where you can see the pillar of cloud. At least come so you can see. All right? That's the first thing. The second thing is remind yourself of what God has done for you. Right? They had just come for the, for the Israelites. It was the Passover. They just experienced this amazing thing where they had, they had escaped judgment by being under the blood of a lamb. For us, as Christians, it's Jesus. Right? One of the reasons we celebrate communion every week is because the in-between is hard. We want to remind ourselves all the time right, that we are saved because that God did not spare his own son, but freely gave him for us. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? God has already proven his love for you. Right? And the last thing is to remind ourselves where God has promised us. For the Israelites, it was the promised land. For us, it's heaven. Right? That one day, God will wipe away every tear. One day, we will see Jesus face to face. Right? I just did a funeral uh, on Friday. And one of the things that I reminded that, that the people at the funeral was that Jesus in John 14 says three things very quickly. The first thing that he tells his disciples when they're worried about death is he says to them, death is not the end. I go to prepare a place for you. The second, the best is yet to come. And the third is I'm the way to get there. I'm the way to get there. Okay. Listen, doubts are going to come. The in-between is going to get hard if it's not hard already. When doubt comes, don't feel embarrassed about it. Don't turtle up. You keep coming, and you remind yourself of what God has already done for you through Jesus. You remind yourself of the promise that he's made that one day you will live with him, and the best is yet to come. And then don't take your eyes off of Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. All right? Pray with me. Lord Jesus, we come to you, and I am grateful. I'm grateful that you understand our hearts, that you understand that there are times when we will doubt. I'm grateful that you have uh, even uh, moments like this, stories like this, that remind us that uh, it's okay to doubt, but that you can overcome uh, even our doubts.
I pray for the people here that are going through particularly rough times. I pray that they will be reminded of your love for them, of what you have already done for them in Jesus, of the promise that you have for them in the future, and that they will be able to experience who you are and how you love them now. Thanks. Thanks for being a wonderful Savior. We pray this in your name. Amen.